Hello, and welcome to Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, our guest is Kate Silvis. She's going to be going over the ERM survey results from 2021. This is the seventh annual survey, and we'll be talking about the results and some of the things that show up every year, some new things, and uh, kind of give everybody a feel for how we're doing in the government with our ERM journey. So let's talk with Kate. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. All right, so today we are here to talk about the annual ERM survey, and to do that, our illustrious guest is Kate Silvis. Hey, Kate, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you? I'm doing good. Looking at the snow coming down. We'll see how this weekend goes, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. I hope we get. Um, I hope we get at least an inch. Yeah, that's that's not too much to to hurt anything, but it's fun to look at, right? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> that's some good risk management thinking. I like that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, why don't we just start off, Kate, uh, I'm not sure everybody knows you, so please introduce yourself, your day job, what do you do and what you do with a firm as well. Sure. Hi everyone. My name's Kate Silvis and I am the enterprise risk management practice leader at Guidehouse Consulting. So on a day-to-day basis, I help organizations to design, implement, and mature their enterprise risk management capabilities. I've been involved with a firm for probably close to 10 years now, uh, and over the, the past several years have been the one of the co-chairs of the plenary, um, the plenary uh, committee for the Affirm Summit, uh, and the past two years, I've actually been the lead author of the survey um, for Guidehouse, so I'm excited to be able to talk to you about some of our results, as well as some of my thoughts and insights uh, on the findings that we had from this past year. That's great. All right. Well, why don't we just jump into it? Um, You know, maybe even just start off with, you know, can you describe how how this survey works? You know, what's the process that you all go through to put this together? Absolutely. So every year we take a step back and look at the questions to determine whether or not there's something else that we should add. That's really the first step. Our primary goal is questions as similar as possible to prior years, so that as a community, we have a good view uh, of how our capabilities have changed over time. Uh, And we really feel like it's important to maintain that level of consistency to really give us good insight. But once we look at that question set, We work with a firm to send the survey out to all of firm members. The survey is only open to government employees because we really want to understand from the federal employee perspective how those ERM capabilities are changing. And in the past, we've also included the membership of AGA as well as the Senior Executive Association to add to um, our population and give us better insight across multiple different stakeholders that either are responsible for enterprise risk management or use information that come from uh, the enterprise risk management program. Typically, we keep the survey open for a month in order to get as many responses as possible from the community. 
And then Guidehouse takes those responses, aggregates the information, puts together the data analytics. We then identify themes and observations. Um, we typically refrain from making any inferences and just provide facts in the survey. So we don't say, this is what we think this means. We just say, this is what the data told us. Last year, we moved to a dashboard because we weren't meeting in person because of COVID, uh, rather than a written report. And we hope to maintain that dashboard as we continue to work with a firm on the survey. It provides the opportunity to slice and dice the data and information any way that you want, um, uh, going back about five years from a data perspective. And this year we added a PDF so that you could download the report in PDF format uh, if you didn't want to use the dashboard. Ah, yes. No, I, I love the dashboard. Thank you for uh, for going to that. I always love those things. You can drill down and just kind of play with it yourself. Makes you feel like you're doing something. I like that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, uh, so let's get into the actual report itself. Um, can you just kind of give us a layout, you know, what's included in the report? What does it look like? Sure. So the report has seven different sections. The first is the executive summary uh, covering high-level observations and really what we thought was the most important uh, in what we found. The second section is demographics, and those are demographics of the survey respondents. We then move into characteristics of the ERM programs that uh, are covered by the people who responded to the survey. The survey then moves through focus and priorities of ERM programs, the execution, performance, and culture of ERM at the various agencies. The last two years, we've added a new section that cover COVID-19 impacts. And then the last piece is mean breakouts, which really show you how the differentiation um, of respondents exists. Uh, for six different categories uh, of, um, of respondent types. And as I mentioned before, the questions have stayed the same for the last seven years. We've added or deleted a question or two to reflect changes in the environment. For example, adding questions around integration with strategy and performance after the COSO framework was published, and then the pandemic-related questions in the last two years. All right. Well, now I know we all want to hear is the actual results here. And I, I believe this is the one that you also briefed out during the, the last summit, correct? I did, yes. Okay. So for those of you who weren't there and those of you who didn't read it, shame on you. Just kidding. Um, but uh, why don't you go ahead and give us some of those key observations from, from the, last, uh, the last survey? I would love to. So first, I just want to start by saying that I would be remiss if I didn't start this discussion with a recognition of the difficult environment that this community has faced over the past two years with the pandemic. It would be easy to let some of the ERM capabilities, practices, and enhancements slip, but the results of the survey in 2021 showed that that was not the case. The federal ERM community really leaned in and continued to mature this capability through these challenging circumstances. Building on that observation, enhanced management decision-making remains one of the top of the list of the benefits emanating from federal ERM programs. 
that's one of the things we want to see. And particularly in a year like 2021, where decisions and programs being implemented can be unique. Uh, and in many cases, agencies are facing new program, we're facing new program requirements uh, that represented a need for new skills and capabilities that some agencies hadn't ever implemented before. And so to be able to see enterprise risk management assisting with enhancing those um, decisions was really exciting for me as an ERM practitioner. Some other benefits that the community identified from their ERM capabilities were improved strategy execution. And that was a new response option this year that wasn't included in any of the prior year surveys. And it came in uh, as the second highest rated benefit. And again, for me, that's so important that we're seeing this integration um, with strategy and the ability to execute against strategy because of enterprise risk management capabilities. We're also seeing a benefit in reduced duplication in risk assessment and other compliance activities. I always love to see efficiency. Uh, and so being able to, to look at this and say, because of the work that ERM is doing, we're able to get more consistent methodology and reduce some of our uh, activity, I think is a real benefit to agencies. And then rounding out the top four benefits is that it prevented, ERM prevented significant negative events from occurring, which I think everyone hopes to be a benefit um, of ERM and it's nice to see that result in the survey. Another observation is that Cybersecurity and privacy remains the top risk area receiving the greatest management attention. Um, I don't think that anyone in our community is surprised about that. Uh, it's just such a potential um, goldmine for threat actors, for information, uh, and that our ability to uh, protect our data and information for federal agencies um, is so important that it just makes sense that that risk would continue to be at the top of the list. Um, the, uh, the cybersecurity and privacy risk also tops the list of risks that federal agencies believe have the greatest impact on strategic objectives today, as well as over the next three to five years. So really looking at that particular risk and saying, this one is gonna have impact for us in the medium term and probably in the longer term as well. Some other risks that were identified by the respondents as having a significant impact on strategic objectives, both now and in the future, are human capital, operational programmatic risks, as well as strategic risks. Culture and leadership related challenges continue to be the most prominent barriers facing organizations attempting to establish and maintain a formal ERM program. The top three barriers that were identified by respondents were bridging silos across organizations, rigid culture that's resistant to change, and executive level buy-in and support. Tone at the top and executive support for risk management took the top spot for most impactful improvement areas for organizations to respond to current and anticipated risks. With culture change to accept risk as part of a day-to-day -day business in second position, 
if you think about what I just mentioned around the, the challenges and barriers facing organizations, the fact that those two um, are the, the top, have the top spots for most impactful improvement makes sense because they all connect together. Um, the two responses around tone at the top and culture change, they do continuously show up over the life of the survey. And to me, that leads me to the conclusion that as a community, we could do a better job supporting each other in developing persuasive talking points and arguments for why ERM is effective to be available when discussing ERM at the executive level. The crowdsourcing talking points so that uh, our, our agency programs can really use them when they're going to talk to new political appointees or new senior leaders around why they should care about enterprise risk management and how it can help them do their job more effectively. The remaining top responses in this category are operational. Uh, the, the responses for most impactful improvement are more clear linkage, alignment, or integration of risk with strategy and performance, as well as well-established risk identification and assessment. Two findings that are different this year from any other survey are the fact that organizations appear to be dedicating greater funding to ERM activities. Um, the percentage of respondents reporting annual budgets for ERM activities that are greater than a million dollars doubled this year. Uh, it reached 34% of respondents, which is the highest percentage in the history of the survey. And in addition to spending more money on ERM, it appears that program leaders are also spending more time managing the ERM program. This year's results indicate that the percentage of ERM program leaders spending more than 75% of their time focused on ERM nearly doubled to 31% this year. So in both of those categories of resource usage, both money and time, we saw um, those resources usage double. Uh, and I think that that's a really exciting um, advancement for this year. And I'm looking forward to see if that trend continues next year. Yeah, thanks for that. Just a lot of great results there. And I definitely echo your uh, your thoughts. I, I did enjoy seeing that one where the, uh, the strategy, using it for their strategy execution was very high up. And that was a, a new a new option for this year. So I was, I'm very encouraged by that. That's a great thing. So, yeah, no, this is a, obviously a lot of interesting and good trends. And yeah, the, the fact that the budgets are going up for, for money spent and time spent on, on these activities, agencies. Yeah. These are all very interesting results. I like it. Um, yeah. So I think one thing I wanted to dive in a little deeper, um, and you mentioned some of this as you were going through the results, but you know, it sounds like some things do, keep coming up year over year, you know, what, what, can you dive a little bit more into some of those recurring themes that, uh, that keep coming up? Absolutely. So risk appetite continues to be one of the components of ERM that has not been developed or really utilized. Even among agencies that have defined risk appetite statements, the statements are not commonly understood or integrated into decision-making. This is throughout the organization. So they may be identified at the top level uh, and sit at the top level of the organization, 
but they never really slow down to to staff or through you know front or um, or senior managers. And so then it's really difficult to use. Uh, as in prior years, less than 10% of respondents indicated that their organization has a defined risk appetite statement that's communicated throughout the organization and integrated into decision-making. That's 90% of our organizations don't have this capability fully developed yet. Meanwhile, having a well-defined risk appetite was identified by 20% of respondents as one of the most impactful improvements their organizations could make in preparing for current and anticipated risks. I would love to see in next year's survey, us move from 10% to 30% in that first risk appetite category of organizations that have a well-defined risk appetite and that that risk appetite flows down through the organization. So if those 20% of respondents could actually take uh, their take their capabilities to the next level this year around risk appetite. We could see a measurable increase in in the percentage of respondents uh, to this particular question. I believe that part of uh, part of the results that we're seeing around risk appetite is risk appetite can be difficult to distill into one statement and cascade it through the organization and make it real and relevant for people to use in decision-making. Uh, and so that challenge of really distilling the statement down into something usable um, makes it hard to, to put into practice um, regularly on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, risk appetite can be a really useful way to discuss trade-offs and articulate for senior leadership, oversight, potentially even Congress, the choices that were made to use resources to meet objectives and deliver on strategic priorities. I'm starting to see this discussion of risk appetite happen in specific areas like compliance, for example. Depending on my risk appetite for compliance for a certain program, I may choose one type of task or validation exercise over another type of test. Or I might look at my entire population that has to be compliant uh, and tier it by risk. So some segments of the population might have more risk from a compliance perspective than other uh, types, than other um, parts of the population. And so I may wanna exercise more oversight in that one area than another. So rather than using the same process and procedure from a compliance perspective across my entire portfolio or my entire population, I would look at it and tier it by risk uh, and really use a risk-based approach to say, what should my compliance exercises and activities be for this particular population for this process? And use a risk appetite conversation to drive potential changes in the process. So if you do that, you could actually have um, a, a process where you have changed the way that process works based on risk-based thinking, where your risk profile for the compliance risk of that particular process is the same as it was before you changed the process, but you have actually expanded your capacity because you're putting more 
um, you're putting more work or emphasis on the higher risk areas than on the lower risk areas, it gives you the possibility to free up capacity um, and is a really practical way to think about the use of risk appetite. So that's one of the things um, that keeps coming up every year. Uh, and some of the ways that I've seen um, my clients handle having that practical conversation around risk appetite. This leads to another common theme. We consistently see a mismatch in several risk areas in which management is employing significant resources despite having low perception of actual current and future risk. And some of these prominent areas are compliance risk, like I just mentioned, financial risk, fraud risk, and reporting risk. And for those of you that are in the internal control space, um, those four risk types are ones that we're all super familiar with. They are the areas where the federal government has primarily spent a lot of effort and resource to understand and to control those particular risks. Uh, and um, so I'm not surprised that there's a mismatch between the risk and then potentially over control. So what can we do about it? Um, I think this is gonna be different for every agency, but if you responded to this question in the survey and showed that you had a mismatch between perception and the use of resources, um, I would suggest picking one and taking a deep dive into that risk type. Really understanding what the underlying risks are of those processes, you know, pick one, what's the underlying risk uh, associated with those processes, what are all of the controls that we've put in place? What are the effectiveness of those controls? If you look at kind of that full list of controls against the risks that you are trying to mitigate, as well as the objectives of that process, you know, are there areas where perhaps if you either took a control out or took a different risk-based approach to executing that control, might you gain some additional capacity decrease um, the use of your resources so that you could spend them on a different risk or a different process uh, while still maintaining that same risk profile within the organization's risk appetite. One of the things that we saw from a commercial sector perspective a couple of years after Sarbanes-Oxley was that organizations started to rationalize those controls. They were really looking and taking deep dives into their business process, looking at the risks, really understanding what controls worked, what controls really mitigated those risks. And then they took some of those controls out of the classification of a key control. Um, so the activity might still happen. It wasn't considered a control anymore. Um, and it really freed up capacity within the organization. It also changed um, you know, how much work was being done by the auditors because they didn't have to audit as many controls anymore. And so um, it, it, it saved work um, during the audit cycle as well. Uh, and so I think our survey results show that we have an opportunity here to really look at some of these risk types and determine whether or not we're over controlling. Uh, and again, this is going to be on a agency by agency basis. Um, and as a former auditor myself, it feels almost sacrilegious to say that. 
that we should be looking and seeing whether or not we're over controlling something. Um, but it really could have the opportunity for us to free up capacity within our organizations while still maintaining risk within our risk appetite. Yeah, I was just going to comment in there real quick. I'm a former auditor too, and I'm I'm like, yep, keep keep giving yourselves policies, procedures, controls. We're going to audit them. So, you know, be mindful of what you really need, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. And it really does um, come down to if if your agency really does have this large mismatch between the perception and then the use, um, you know, the use of funds to mitigate that particular risk. There, you you could actually release significant amounts of capacity while still staying in your within your risk appetite and having the same risk profile, where staff and employees move from kind of the that regular sometimes manual process of executing controls to more exception handling and focused on higher risk areas. Um, or being able to be innovative um, in mission delivery. And so it really could open up a lot of opportunities. Absolutely. So uh, one of the, you, I'm sorry, I was going to say keep on rolling. What else you got there? <laughs> all right. What else do I have? I've got training and awareness. So training and awareness tops the list for the fourth straight year in terms of areas that ERM programs want to focus on in the next 12 months. This tells me that as a community, we aren't doing the best job understanding the training needs of our practitioners and making learning opportunities available. Um, this is one of those topics where it's really easy to speculate on what's needed, but we probably should do some follow-up into the types of training that would be helpful, both topically as well as how training can be delivered. For those of you listening, if you have great training that you've taken on ERM, or you have a specific component of ERM you wish you could have training on, I recommend that you reach out to a firm to let the association know what, what you have to offer or what you need. I know that that's a focus um, of Daniela Deskowska, who is the president of a firm this year, to really make sure that what we're providing from a programming perspective is what the community wants and needs. And so, um, you know, I, I suggest that you reach out uh, and let a firm know. I would also say that there are multiple agencies uh, that have developed modules for agency staff to help describe the components of ERM, to work through case studies, uh, and reach out to your network uh, of, of federal uh, employees to find out what they've done or what they're missing. Uh, it's a great way to work on um, work on networking as well as get the benefit of materials that have already been developed um, and paid for by the government that you could use and modify for your own agency's purposes. Uh, and so that's an area that I would love to see transform over the next couple of years um, and move off the top part of the list. One final area that has remained steady over the last few years is the integration of ERM with other management processes. In 2021, these areas of integration decreased. The mean scores of the survey moved below the midpoint response of three in all four integration areas. So this was an area where this year 
we did see a little step backwards from a, from a capability perspective. In order of degree of integration, the, so with the most integration being first, these areas are internal control programs, strategic planning, execution processes, and budgetary processes. Those programs that feel as though there isn't a high degree of integration with any four of those processes, I suggest starting with one. Build relationships between your ERM program team as well as the, the program offices that are running those processes uh, and work together to incorporate ERM concepts into those other areas. For example, if you have an enterprise risk list or you have component risk lists uh, for components of your agency, Do you have a budgetary process to show how the budget requests address those most significant risks your agency is facing, either from an enterprise perspective or from that specific component perspective? Or from a strategic planning process, have you included in that process an opportunity to identify risks, both challenges as well as risks that you should take on in order to be able to better achieve your objectives, your mission? Um, identify those things that might change either your strategic plan or enhance or incorporate new or changed strategies and objectives as part of that strategic planning process. So there are opportunities where we can take little steps forward depending on you know how much how much capacity your team has to grow and be able to integrate ERM with those other business processes. Uh, really start to gain efficiency and incorporate ERM thinking into uh, the decision-making process along these four uh, specific processes. So, Paul, those are some of the big kind of topics and themes that have been recurring for years, uh, and just some of my thoughts on ways that we as a community could take some of those on and maybe move our capacity forward. Uh, over the next year or so. Yeah, no, thanks for that. I, I really appreciate kind of bringing up the, the major topics, the trends over years, and you had some great insights and suggestions, um, you know, so I really appreciate you taking the time to to walk us through it. And uh, I know we're getting near the end here, um, and I'm sure you have a, you can tell us where to find the report, and we'll put a link on our website as well. But uh, in addition to that, and if you just have any other final thoughts for us. Absolutely. So I believe that thinking about agency mission, strategy, and objectives from an enterprise perspective can enhance the ability of agencies to deliver, to deliver on their missions to the public in an efficient and effective way. This community of risk practitioners has seen the growth of these capabilities over the last decade in very meaningful ways. And I think we have the opportunity to continue to develop the capabilities and practices over the next decade in ways that are really going to help agencies address the challenges that this country uh, is going to be facing in the future and do it from a risk-based perspective that helps drive that efficiency and effectiveness in decision-making. Um, and so that's really kind of my capstone statement there. Uh, if you are interested in reading through the survey, 
you can get um, you can get to the survey either by the Affirm website or the Guidehouse website. So both websites have links to the survey, and I hope that you will download it, take a look, look at it through the lens of your your own agency uh, to determine areas that you can focus on this year to maybe change your score for next year. Right. Absolutely. And like I said, we'll put a link next to the actual on the podcast page and, uh, and on a firm, you can look at the, the prior year reports too, prior year surveys. So, so again, Kate, thank you so much for joining us and uh, appreciate it and happy to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. That's the show. Thanks for tuning in. Affirm.org. Check out those risk chats. Check them out on your podcatcher, your phone. You know where to go. Any suggestions for us, send them in. And we will keep you entertained with more podcasts coming up. And until that next time, this is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Risk Chats with a Firm.